this is California's version of the harvest. It's like 100 degrees. Um, I feel like I was I sh- I wanted to wear like a flannel shirt to try to get into the spirit, but uh, no way. Uh, it is it's good though. Um, this is my favorite time of year by far. Uh, like the pumpkin spice latte, like I don't drink them, but I'm happy they exist. Like I'm happy for for things which usher me into a new season, uh, cut things up a bit, <laughs> especially now that I live here when it's it's all sun, like all of the time. And there's no way to really tell if you've ever entered into a new season. So I appreciate uh, having the harvest festival, the the barbecues in the summer, the holiday parties. They are the stuff of a vibrant community in my mind. So happy you're here uh, to celebrate with us. Um, I, I'm going to look at a, uh, a few verses from the gospel according to John, and we'll take communion um, and sing, and then we'll we'll head out to the field. We'll have a brief period between our time here and out, uh, outside, uh, but we'll get to it shortly thereafter. Um, if you have uh, text with you, or there might be one in the slots in front of you, uh, in the pews, uh, John, the gospel according to John, uh, verse 1, 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one of whom I said, he comes after me, uh, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
He has made him known. What a full uh, line of thought. As every word is, uh, d- demands uh, a care and a discussion. Um, so I want to try to skim over some of the many uh, questions that I have, some of the many thoughts I have here. Um, and in case you, you didn't notice or you weren't picking up on this fact, he's, he's talking about Jesus. He's using uh, strange language, the word, um, and God and the Father. But it's a discussion right at the beginning of John's account of the gospel. Uh, he starts off with a statement about Jesus that is it's not unique because there are three other accounts which do something similar. But John does it in a way that uh, uh, I would say it has teeth for me, at least. It means something uh, very important. And I think it means something for the church. What I really want to do for the next few moments is talk about how this opening to John's account of the good news of Jesus Christ has implications for the life of the church, specifically the life of the church as she gathers. You, you probably remember uh, April 20th, 1986. Everyone remember that date? The day Michael Jordan in the game two of the first round of the playoffs, he'd been injured all year. He only played like 18 games his second year in the NBA, and he showed up in Boston, in Boston, the Boston Garden, and he dropped 63 points. That's like a 20-year-old, 20, 20 a 21-year-old. Unbelievable. Do you remember? Does anyone remember? This was recent. During There was only a few good things that happened during COVID. One of them was the Michael Jordan documentary, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that was the only thing I had going for me was waiting for that. And it was in like two-hour segments, if I remember right. It was pretty exciting. But do you remember what Larry Bird said about Michael Jordan on that evening? Uh, 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 April 20th, 1986. He, he said, that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. It wasn't Michael. Like, no human being can do that. It, he, he means something about God and he means something about Michael Jordan. Perhaps his vision of God is smaller than, than uh we would have him think about God. Uh, but I think that's how we think about Jesus Christ. That he is God disguised as a man. That like Jesus' skin is just transparent enough for us to see through and see really on the inside it's God shining through. As if John means to say, we have seen the glory of God alongside the flesh of Jesus. Or we have seen the glory of God through Jesus. But that's not what John says. He says we have seen the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus. This is, this is beyond deep. What a thought. 
Whatever it means to have the word be with God in the beginning, some sort of conversation which becomes flesh. And the word here is a familiar one because we spent the summer in Exodus. And you'll remember much of Exodus is about a tent. And this is the word straight out of Exodus. Exodus. Uh, Jesus tented. Eskenosim. He, he became a tent. God takes on flesh. Fully human. This is a statement about God's understanding of creation. We have in our minds, I think, if you're like me, uh, a goal of being set free from planet Earth, set free from our bodies, set free from the experience in planet Earth to one day be in heaven. But this moment is God's reaffirmation, not of the temporary nature of creation, That is to say that the world will just vanish one day and we'll all be ghosts. But it's it's God's way of affirming the goodness of creation and of bodies and of life in God's world, fully embodied. Jesus becomes a human being. And we get a sense of what God desires for the world. The resurrection, in fact, makes the exact same statement. Not to say one day God will throw the world away, but he reaffirms it with resurrection, a remaking of fully embodied Lord who lives in and on and through planet Earth. But the one from whom all came, the one through whom all came to be, was a human being. Not God disguised as a human being. Do do you see the difference? That may, that's a head scratcher. That may take a few nights um, in prayer to think through. The term for this, of course, everyone, do you know the term? What is this God becoming a human being? Anyone? You know it. You just, you're afraid to say it. Incarnation. In, he said it. You win. It, incarnation. God becoming a human being. And we find that in this human being, and he he actually quotes again from Exodus, the grace and truth. This is language that God himself used to describe himself at Israel's lowest moment. The Lord appears to Moses and says, Adonai, Adonai. El Rahum Vachanun, Erechapayim Varav Chesed Vemet, Varav Chesed Vemet, full of grace and truth. This is John's way of saying that goodness of God now lives as a human being. You want to see what it looks like to be a human being in God's good world? Follow him. That's what John effectively says. This is the one I was telling you all about. Look, a human, God. Incarnation, it's so important for us. It means that life in God's good world is embodied, not disembodied. What we do with our bodies matters. How we give and love and serve matters. We don't just wait until our ghosts are set free. 
by believe, like we believe in the incarnation and therefore it's like a passcode that one day we'll get into heaven when our bodies wear out. No, that's a misreading. The incarnation itself is a statement about the life God has in mind in his good world. Incarnation. Now, Charles Taylor, do many of you know Charles Taylor? Have you heard this name? You should get to know Charles Taylor, at least so you can sound smart. It's like the most um, pretentious thing to do if you're at a party. Well, Charles Taylor once said, uh, Charles Taylor, uh, a philosopher, uh, McGill University, has written a a lot on uh, our times, uh, life as we know it in the Western world. Uh, But he came up with this phrase, excarnation, excarnation. The church is really rooted in the story of incarnation, God becoming a human being, an embodied existence where we live as God's people. But Taylor says what the church has experienced over the last few hundred years is an excarnation. That is movement from an experience of God which is embodied and involves our whole lives from our bodies up to our heads. And now we think of God in terms of our heads, in terms of our thoughts. We don't think of God any longer necessarily or even talk about him in terms of an embodied encounter, an experience, something which demands all of us. But we think and talk of God in terms of a thought or what we believe or doctrines. And God has effectively moved from an embodied reality to our thoughts. And it creates all kinds of problems for us. That God is just a matter of thinking. If we can just think the right thoughts about God, he'll be happy. But that's actually all God is looking for, that you think the right thoughts of him. And that if it goes no farther than that, you'll at least get to go to heaven one day. You will have cracked the code. You will know the passcode for the pearly gates. I believe the right things. See, believing the right things is never an end in itself. We're Church of Christ folk. We have a wonderful high view of baptism. Let's take baptism for a moment. Do you think God is most concerned that we agree that baptism is good? No, baptism isn't stop with itself. Just look at, we believe in baptism. No, look at baptism for a moment. What does it involve? Our whole bodies. We go under the water and come out to live a new life. It's not just a thought that we agree with and that's what pleases God. Baptism is a pathway or an open door to an even deeper encounter, an embodied encounter with God. You following what I'm saying here? God is always drawing us back to our bodies, what we do with ourselves, our thoughts too. But God isn't merely a matter of thoughts. And this is a reality. God living in our heads and not in our bodies is not something you could sit here and say to me, well, not for me. False. (laughs) For all of us. Because that is the world that we live in. Now, there's a number of things that have, I think, helped us think wrongly about God like this. How you doing? One is... 
Uh, this, again, you, you can get uh, more from Taylor on this, but is the age we live in. There's a slow movement over time uh, uh, from incarnation to a kind of excarnation, but that problem is made worse by the times we live in. And that, of course, is the, the age or the time of authenticity. That is to say, each of us gets to decide as the ultimate authority what is good for us. That's the world we live in. That's how we are raised. That's what we are praised for. We don't do much that we don't want to do. And if you were to try to make me do something that I don't want to do, it's one of the greatest violations of our age. Because the most important thing is, of course, my individuality, my authenticity, my ability to express myself. I am the guide for my own embodied experience. God is a thought for me. The idea that we would be the ultimate authority in our lives is also relatively new. And it explains some of our ridiculous behavior as human beings. We live in an age where divorce is something one can be praised for because you go, you did you. You didn't let anything tie you down. You should be a life coach. Because you figured out how to deny anything that gets in the way of you being your authentic self. And immediately you're probably wondering, well, yes. (laughs) But how is that supposed to work? If our minds are that we live for ourselves and we're the ultimate authority about what's good or what matters for us, how is the church going to be anything really? If... The teaching of incarnation gives a portrait of the embodied life. Then it seems like, I think, what Scripture is inviting all of its readers to is an experience of that embodied life, which may often come to the detriment of our self-expression. It may go against All of the ambitions, not all, at least some of the ambitions we have, the schedules we desire to keep. But we will go in our crazy lives away from one another, alienated from one another at an increasing speed, feeling just fine about our understanding of God, because in the end, God is merely a thought. But this is a summons to a very embodied way of life. This is the, you could say, the theological underpinning for the church. This is why it matters to gather. The church is this place not of alienation, but of embodied experience. The church can only give what the bodies who make up the church put into her. It's not a one-stop shop for resources to make our personal lives better. It's, It's a way of thinking about God. 
It's a, it's a window into what we see here. Incarnation. God becoming a human being. Well, what's it look like when God is a human being? It looks like giving for the sake of the other. It looks like pouring ourselves out for the other. But I don't think we've, we fix some of the alienation we can feel from one another in the church by, uh, by uh, uh, a program or a sermon series. There's no plan that I could come up with as an individual, as a, as a leader in the church that would just convince your minds that it's best for you to come back to church and be a part of the church. The only thing that can compel us to come to, to gather together is this wonderful story. The church is meant to be an embodied place, not just a place where people who agree about uh, the Bible come together once in a while when it doesn't get in the way of our other things going on. But it's the place where this embodied life is encountered. This is why we gather. Now, does it sound like a difficult thing to be the church? If you're listening and paying attention, yes. Yes. Only Peggy's paying attention. But the church is this place where we get to encounter this embodied life, the incarnation. People filled with God's spirit who gather not just to uh, say we gathered, check, but to live out the incarnate life. Think of the things going on in our world right now. Do you know God's will in summoning Israel and in calling the church was that the church would be this community of people? What does John say? Anyone who believes in Christ has been given the power to become children with one father. God is raising up a family of people who are like a sign of what God wants to do everywhere. How can we show the sign of and goodness and glory of God just by thinking about Him. Just by telling what we think about Him. The church is hope for the world. I don't believe it's on us to necessarily save all of the world or something like that, that we come up with the right plan and, it'll, and then the world is just fixed. But the church is this embodied place which is a sign to the rest of the world of God's goodness and love. Isn't this awesome? This is why I go to church. I don't go to church because y'all are so awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. Uh, you're awesome to the extent that I'm awesome. So I don't know. That's not, not that awesome, I guess. But this is, this, is what's, this is what draws me. Do you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I have went through long seasons in my life where I don't want to have anything to do with the church. That probably makes you feel good uh, since I'm uh, one of the ministers here. <laughs> but why lie? Uh, the church is at best annoying to me at times. At worst, a place that I feel really suspicious of and wounded by. And because I'm told, do what makes you feel best, Jason, 
it makes it really hard to keep showing up. And without a a theory or a way of thinking that includes this incarnation, there's really no reason to keep showing up. But it's precisely because God is raising up a community wherein God can only be experienced by bodies gathering and giving and loving. That's what gets us through our moments of I don't want to be there, I don't want to go. This allows us a different way than to be God for ourselves or to guide ourselves. To submit to something, a thought that's even greater than whatever we think for ourselves. I know how oppressive that sounds given our times. But we have all kinds of opportunities to encounter this kind of community. Did you know, if you're visiting, welcome. Uh, this community is for you. <laughs> it's not just ours. It's not, it doesn't like belong to the, the people who were here last Sunday. Uh, God has drawn you here for some reason or some annoying neighbor or family member that made you come because we're giving free pork away today. <laughs> Whatever the reason you're here, this community, God is also at work in your life, drawing you to himself. But not just to think about him but to experience him, to serve him. So there are opportunities. So, uh, so here's, here's an invitation. You could call it a challenge. That's fine. Uh, but here's an invitation. This week in our church, we have family groups. Do you know about family groups? Everyone's heard of a family group? They're the best thing. Uh, because they don't have someone with a microphone giving a lecture. <laughs> It's a chance to get to know others, but to hear their praying and to pay attention and to notice, oh, look what God is doing in that individual's life. As they share, as we talk about scripture, as we pray, we begin to see through these little communities the life of God. Not just a thought, not just a hope for going to heaven, but a full immersion into life with God in his, in his community. If you've never been to a family group, you should go. You should go this week. Uh, whoever brought you can tell you. For those of you who are members of the church and for a number of reasons, maybe you haven't been to one in a long time, good news. <laughs> you can go this week. There's one happening again this week. The next week there is a midweek service. We don't go to, I don't go to midweek because that's what God wants. I don't think God cares. (laughs) I don't go to family group because that somehow tricks God into letting me into heaven. You see, we go, we're compelled because of this thought that God is most perfectly, in our experience, perfectly uh, experienced by this embodied community. I love it. I love it. It's It's difficult, and I love it. So with that, What could be more fitting to follow this passage up with these little thimbles, uh, half full of juice, half full of oyster cracker, (laughs) Um, which again is a meal we share. Some of the symbolism of the meal could get lost because of uh, the fact that they're in little packages, but I want to draw attention to it. This is a meal. This is bread we share together, Christ's body, Christ's blood. It welcomes all of us, summons all of us 
to a deeper, more resonant way of life together. Jesus' death and resurrection opened up a way for us to come together, not just to get along, but to give ourselves to one another. So with that, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the bread and the cup. Jesus, for your love. We thank you that you show us not how to get away or get ahead, but how to see you. We thank you for the communion meal. We thank you for uh, the grace and mercy we find. That you make your grace and mercy available through this meal and through one another. We need you so desperately, God, and you knew that. I pray, Father, as we eat, as we reflect, as we share with one another, that we could uh, encounter you. You show up in these unsurprising ways sometimes. Just a, a meal. We thank you, God. All of this is through Christ the Lord.